And we are back. Good morning, GM, GA, GE, for everybody out there. I'm Rich Robinson, entrepreneur in residence at Animoca Brands, and welcome to Founder Insights Podcast by Animoca Brands. And today, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, put your trade tables in the upright positions and fashion your seatbelts. We have a get today. I've been wanting to get him on the podcast for a long time. Co-founder of Sky Mavis, creator of Axie Infinity, Jiho, everybody, Jeff Zerlin. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. Kaboom Town, man alive. I have to give a quick, quick background. So Yatsio, the fearless leader, co-founder, chairman of Animoca Brands, he gave me a call uh, around the week that you guys launched the Ronin sidechain. And he's like, something's happening. It was almost as if he was like in this obscure lab in some university and he saw some readout and he's like, there's something happening. Godzilla's coming. Or there's like, you know, something happening from the center of the earth or there's an asteroid coming and nobody, nobody wanted, he saw it and he smelled it and nobody wanted to believe it. Everybody's just frolicking around. And, uh, he asked me to become an advisor because he felt this whole industry was going to kind of like really get a boost from what you guys are doing. And he totally called it. And I think for my money, you know, crypto kitties, great NBA top shot punks, whatever, but Axie infinity, I believe is the before and after of web three. So man, great to uh, have you on the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, you know, yacht is a visionary and he got it. He was the investor that got it immediately. And when, you know, when Axie was just a small ragtag band of missionaries, you know, hundred people plus in the discord and he, he understood it. Right. So, um, uh, you know, big ups, a lot of, a lot of respect for Yacht. And, and Anna Mocha Brands was the first, uh, investor into, uh, Sky Mavis. Is that, is that correct? Uh, yeah. So Anna Mocha led the seed round back in 2019. Hmm. So 2019, and I think as I remember uh, hearing, it was a little bit of a like elongated, painful round because it was still kind of the hangover from ICO boom 2017, right? You know, nobody was interested in consumer crypto. Nobody was interested in NFTs at that time. We had just, right, we were dealing with the collapse of ETH and, and the ICO, um, you know, tokens were out of popular, <laughs> you know, we're not... Uh, looked upon favorably. And, um, you know, I think 2020, 2019 and 2023 are actually analogous years, um, years of hardcore building, years that call the pack and strengthen the DNA of the ecosystem and the industry. So, Boom. Well said. Love it. Tell us about uh, what's cooking right now in the Axie Infinity kitchen. What do you, what do you got uh, exciting happening? Well, I mean, I think first I want to say that right, we have Axie, and we have Ronin yes, um, and all the uh, games that are being onboarded onto Ronin, right? So Axie is that flagship IP. It's onboarded millions uh, to Web3. It's relatable. You know, we believe that cute IPs have the largest uh, total addressable markets as evidenced by things like Hello Kitty, for example. And so, and then we also have Ronin, right? So how have all major gaming distribution platforms emerged in the past? Right, you see things like Steam with Counter Strike and Dota. Right, they they actually have their own flagship IPs and experiences that drive users onto their platform, and then they're able to become this user distribution or this distribution or user aggregation uh, platform. Right, so that's how we see Ronin and Axie integrating and complementing each other. Right, is that Axie has gotten us this first batch of missionaries and users. 150,000 uh, players in the Axie community right now in the depths of a bear. Right right now, today. Right now, today. Extraordinary. We calculate it to be around 65 to 70% share of all Web3 gamers. Um, so, right, so we've aggregated users. We've proven that the tech works. It's battle-hardened, battle-hardened tech, battle-hardened community, thousands of creators, and lots of stories and scar tissue. And then we, we pair that with the infrastructure. Right, where uh, we're starting to onboard really amazing games like 
Pixels, Machines Arena, Battle Bears. Battle Bears was a very proven mobile game developer. Uh, studios like um, uh, Zillion Wales, which is making Wild Forest, uh, they made Mushroom Wars. Um, the creators of Anipong are building like a match three game uh, using the Axie IP as well, right? So we're leveraging that initial adoption and traction um, with Axie to use that as a kind of kickstart to the Ronin ecosystem, right? Ronin is our battle-tested sidechain built specifically for games, right? It was forged for gamers. And yeah, you know, with all the other gaming networks say that they're going to onboard millions of people to Web3, but Ronin has actually done it, so. Man, wow, there are so many things to double-click off of that first volley that you put over the net there, amazing. Let's uh, let's talk about just just users. Let's paint the picture for people who aren't familiar. The number of NFTs that are out there, the number of number of players. I mean, like those those numbers just dwarf what is bandied about in the ecosystem these days. And it shows that your ecosystem is not only still you know surviving but thriving. Yeah, sure. So there are 12 million Axie NFTs uh, right now, for example. And there are around 2 million unique holders of those NFTs. Around 150,000 of them are active right now. We expect, obviously, during different market conditions and as new innovations get pushed to market, that many of these would return and get reactivated as well. And, you know, we're in the Guinness Book of World Records as the number one NFT project of all time by uh, trading volume. So that's $4.2 billion uh, of trading volume. Yeah, we've onboarded millions to Web3 and the Ronin wallet has been downloaded millions of times. And yeah, 75% of our uh, players are new to NFTs, 50% are uh, new to crypto, and 25% have never even had a bank account before. And so we're seeing, you know, how gaming that the merger of gaming and Web3 can also provide access to new mechanisms of finance and uh, that many people do not have access to, right? So obviously one of the amazing things about Axie is that many of our players are in emerging market countries, um, in Southeast Asia, in LATAM, and places where traditional banking infrastructure isn't as well enshrined. That really aligns with Yat's vision of open metaverse, broad digital asset rights, but financial literacy for for the masses, shrinking that Gini coefficient, bringing the unbanked into a place where they can have a wallet and they can have a way to earn and they can have a way to kind of upskill themselves. I mean, that's something that almost feels idealistic. And if you're not in it, 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 you can almost poo-poo it away, but I'm based here in Bali. I ran a crew. I ran a, you know, I had, you know, scholarships for people who were, um, you know, working, you know, in the, in the whole, uh, uh, you know, just group here, putting, putting, pulling together, um, you know, people who are like, I'm working in changing motorcycle tires or I'm, I'm a waiter or I'm, you know, a stay-at-home mom, and it had a true impact on their life. They they played mobile games. They're very mobile literate. They never they don't, they don't have a bank account. They're not they're not uh, you know savvy about crypto. And then they really went up the learning curve really quickly. Can you share some anecdotes about you know maybe the the Philippines or some other area in Southeast Asia where it was really a life changer for people? Sure. I mean, so during you know, Axie boom really coincided with the escalation of the pandemic, right? So during the pandemic, people were struggling. I think it was especially hard uh, in places like the Philippines. And so, you know, it was an emergent behavior. You know, what we saw was, okay, we've created this interesting mechanism where from first principles, we really just wanted to reward people for engaging with our game. We thought, hey, like Bitcoin mining works, Ethereum mining works, but those are only going to be interesting incentives for people who know how to run, to run mining rigs. <laughs> those aren't necessarily the 
you know, we have enough of those people in crypto right now. What we need are everyday people. Because if everyday people aren't using the technology, then why are we even here? What are we doing? So the idea, you know, the idea for the idea of earning ERC-20 tokens using a digital collectible, right, that really came from that first principle of, can we have protocol rewards that encourage everyday people from all walks of life to experience this magical technology? And that was the question that we asked, right? And it started as a whisper and we started to see interesting emerging behaviors that proved that something interesting was happening, right? I remember seeing families. Um, I, so the, actually one of the original encounters with this was I was actually checking, like, do we have bots? <laughs> do we have botters? And I saw, you know, a list of 20 people all from the same IP address playing. Um, and it was from the Philippines. So I said, oh, you know, this looks like a bot farm. So we, uh, we banned it. And then I got a message somehow, like saying, sir, like, this is me. We just got banned. Um, this is me and my family. And we've been playing Axie Infinity. It's really helping us. And I didn't believe him. I was pretty rude. I was like, okay, just send us a picture of everyone in your family playing Axie. That sounds too unbelievable, but maybe it's true. Maybe we're onto something. And lo and behold, I got a video of the aunt, the grandpa, the, the kids, um, the parents, all playing Axie, all with their own um, teams, uh, holding up their Android device, devices. So that was the moment that I reached out to Gabby from YGG. I was like, yo, let's, this, is, this is interesting. This is, I, this is something that I've never seen before. I've never seen people like this using crypto. And, and right, so that, that led to a series of events that led to like a Coindesk article about it. There was the famous documentary that came out, Play to Earn. Um, and yeah, we saw, you know, we saw millions of lives touched uh, and many, of pe many people learning, uh, yeah, you, you know, being actually onboarded into the ecosystem. Absolute phenomenon. And when people talk about, yes, it's, you know, trustless and permissionless and distributed, there's also an aspect of that, that in some ways the game and the way that the game is managed becomes completely distributed and permissionless as well too. And people start doing things with the game without your permission, because that's the, that's the basis of the entire, the entire industry. And sometimes they can take it in, in directions that are, you know, unintended consequences, un, unforeseen. And, um, it's absolutely fascinating how that turned into a phenomenon and I'd, I'd love to, to double click on that whole paradigm of people playing a game and getting getting rewarded for that like I believe that there is a very strong place for that in the future of gaming and we look back at World of Warcraft people get wood or you know mine gold and that was a that was a side uh, gray market because it wasn't uh, fully embraced by the developer. Um, where where do you see that evolving to? Like this was like the first iteration was almost as if somebody took, you know, um, you know this this engine and then revved it, revved it, revved it, and it wasn't quite you know ready for all of these uh, consequences. And not now you've had time to build and put in the infrastructure. How, how do you see that that shaping up in the future? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, one of the important things that we've built out to complete the ecosystem to make a complete loop is this idea of Axie part evolution, right? Because in the last cycle, people could earn tokens and then use those tokens to earn Axies, which would then create more tokens, right? So it was like the population was expanding horizontally, 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 and, um, there was no way for people to sync those same resources that they were earning in the game to actually deepen the progression of those individual axes, right? Um, and that's actually what's needed to create an emotional uh, relationship, uh, you know, a deeper emotional connection to the to those axes, as well as right, like a you know, basically ac economic syncs uh, to ensure that you have some sort of a balanced economy. And so that's, that's one of the things that I'm really excited about right now that we're working on is this idea of part evolution, where you'll be able to basically 
release axes, uh, use crafting materials to then upgrade the different genes. Um, and th those upgraded genes or evolved genes are presented right in the different games as evolved body parts. So this part evolution, I think, is going to be really key. And then I think we can also do some really cool things with vertical interoperability where you're able to earn different crafting materials and experience points playing a whole because remember there's around 18 different axie games right now that you can play many of them built by the community right and so imagine like being able to play these different games and earn a progression point which is then used with alongside a crafting materials to upgrade your axes, right? So if you're interested in learning more about it, it's called AXP Axie Core. It's this idea that we think is going to be so crucial to like the foundation of Axie moving forward. And, you know, if we had that last cycle, then I think things could have been even more interesting. Man, I, uh, I think about the Maui fires and how terrible they are and how destructive they are, but then people writing like, well, that, ecosystem is so strong that it's going to come back even more beautiful, even more fecund, even, you know, more sort of, you know, evolved in a way. And I think something similar happened with your ecosystem where it just, it kind of like got overcome by so many different forces. And I think a lot of people are like, well, you know, there's some charred remains there and like, whoop, that, that was a good experiment. See you later. Um, you know, next. Um, but there's this, you know, beautiful, just growth and new, new, you know, f uh, plants and flora and fauna uh, that are coming out. So these um, games that are developed by the ecosystem, then you have this whole Ronin infrastructure as well too. And yeah, I, I love how you talked about steam and like who better to create that. I mean, if you look at like Slack, Slack was created because, you know, Stuart Butterfield was like, I want to scratch my own itch. Like, I know exactly what we need and I'm going to create it internally. It's not going to be made by some external developer. We're going to create it for ourselves. You never like lead with infrastructure first. You always have to build it product first um, based on your own needs, right? That's how all infrastructure works. Um, even AWS, um, even uh, Google Cloud, right? They're using, they're building it, the building that data storage and data structure for themselves um, and then they're making it right you're turning a cost uh, into a business um, that's basically how infrastructure works um, so I'm you know I've always been perplexed that the people who you know only focus on you know trying to make infrastructure and then hiring a big BD team to, to sell it mm. yeah they're basing it on some sort of thesis but they don't get to bump up against real life in the way that you guys did over and over and we went through the experience of dealing with chains that were, you know, being quote unquote built for consumer applications or built for, uh, you know, games specifically. And it, yeah, it didn't work, right? Like you don't want to build your startup on top of another startup as well, right? Because, you know, we were, we built on top of Loom Network, right? And they gave up. <laughs> they had the right vision, actually. You know, Loom Network was like super interesting and good. And they had the right concept, um, but they just, you know, they gave up. So tell us more, give us a TikTok about the infrastructure, the future, why, and why a game developer listening would want to um, align themselves with, with your vision. So what we're finding is that the game developers that are interested in Web3 that actually want to iterate and build in public and get user feedback and real users, they're interested in growing because we actually have the players. Also, our infrastructure is battle-tested, right? It's scaled to actually accommodate millions of users where everything else is academic and theoretical. And so, yeah, if you want users, if you want a community that's going to check out your product and be very interested in, in uh, exploring it, testing it, giving you feedback, then the Ronin Gamer community is that community that you want. And we also have some other great benefits, right? Like, and because of the way that our blockchain works, we have something called the Ronin enforced royalty, right? So on other chains, you're seeing a race to the bottom in terms of these protocol royalties. Whereas on Ronin, and there's one NFT marketplace 
the, the deployment of that of additional NFT marketplace is really controlled by the validator set, which you know they understand why there's only, why it's good that there's only one marketplace on Ronin, um, and that allows for interesting new business models uh, that require royalties to sprout up. Right? Imagine, for example, play to mint, right? Where you're you're playing a game, you're you're uh, earning different items or resources in game. Um, uh, or yeah, items in game, uh, and then you're actually able to mint uh, those items into NFTs, and then um, you're and you're trading them, and the game developer would, you know, only or mainly monetize from the secondary market uh, trading fees, right? And you could even jack those up, maybe to ten percent, ten twenty percent, if you're not selling them in the beginning as well, right? That's. Uh... That's an excellent picture there. I think, you know, it's not just about infrastructure in terms of the technical side, but also having the strong captive community that can help to onboard. And I think that's, that's the promise for, for steam. But in the beginning, steam didn't have quite, quite maybe the traction in the community that you guys have. So that's a, you know, relative. So that's, it's great that you have that existing user base there. And then all the other people that can come on board as well, too, who are the existing NFT holders. Tell us, tell us about your vision of how NFTs uh, will continue to evolve and what excites you in that space. Well, we're seeing that our lives are becoming increasingly digital. Obviously, that trend accelerated during COVID, and, but it's a pretty linear, maybe exponential trend that our digital lives are becoming increasingly important relative to our physical lives. And that means that our digital possessions are becoming increasingly important relative to our physical uh, possessions. And as our digital lives become more important, we're also going to be asking for the same sort of rights that we have in the physical world, right? The right to life, liberty, and property. And, and NFTs, I see, just, I see them as digital deeds, deeds of ownership, right? I read this book called The Mystery of Capital by Hernando de Soto, who I was blessed to be able to actually meet when I visited Peru. And basically the idea is that there is no such thing as capitalism or socialism. That is a false dichotomy created to distract us from the main issue, which is there is our property rights and there are systems that lack uh, property rights. And that is the key determinant behind the success of, of society and whether there is an actual sustainable economy uh, that creates opportunities for people and and I see I see nfts um, as that and you know when it comes to nfts and gaming I see it as a one of the most obvious fits if not probably the the most obvious fit I grew up playing Diablo World of Warcraft Neopets and I was always running into issues I was always running into issues in terms of being able to actually turn the value that I had in these digital experiences into real world value I even put myself in danger going to like random food courts with my mom to uh, sell items in World of Warcraft, right? Because I was, I was also, you know, I was in an interesting position where I was a kid trying to make money playing video games. I was, I think I was 12 or 13 years old when World of Warcraft came out, but I was blessed to be in one of the top guilds um, in the world. Um, so I think those, those experiences right, just built that conviction for me. And so, you know, I, I see it crystal clear and it will, it will take some time. It will take a lot of experimentation and building and find, you know, polishing the experiences while also combining them with interesting new innovations um, that crop up in, uh, in Web3, right? Because it's like, when you think about it, like Axie was like a combination of like CryptoKitties, Pokemon. And then when you added on Uniswap, right, that's when you had like explosion. Right. So when you think about like, we don't talk about like the Lego blocks, Lego building blocks idea uh, as much. But yeah, to me, it, it's like uh, Web3 gaming is like what interesting new smart contracts and smart contract mechanics can be added to an ecosystem to turn it into something that was never possible in traditional gaming. Fascinating. I love Diablo and World of Warcraft and Neopets all of those assets. And then you're like in some bulletin board, like meet me by the food court. And then you guys are doing some sort of gray market deal supervised by parents. And like, that's absolutely being 
forge by fire, like you're in a crucible. It becomes so important and so real and so relevant to your life. And then you end up meeting DeSoto, who Yat channels a lot as well, too. And like, yeah. Oh, really? I, can, I can try to introduce them, actually. Um, I think they would get along really well. I actually did. A, yeah, I, did, I was on a panel or I was on. A, I did a fireside chat with him when I went to Peru, went to his house. It was, it was awesome. Fascinating that you've really like latched onto that. And I at NFT NYC, I met um, the lead, I believe his name is Andrew, one of the leads on the ERC, you know, 20 paper. And he wrote NFT, you know, parentheses, you know, non-fungible token or deed. So it's actually called a deed in the, you know, in the actual white paper. And he thought, well, nobody's going to really call it a clunky, you know, non-fungible token. And even NFT is a weird acronym. I think people just call it a deed. And uh, I think that's, that, that really helped to frame it in my mind. The shortest acronym will always win. I'm, I'm convinced of that, right? So it's like, why is, you know, NFT, uh, why does it work? It's three, it's three letters, right? Um, it's like EDM, right? It's like, um, th th that, was, that was the framing that convinced me. You know, Web3 versus crypto. Yeah, Web3 is also slightly shorter, right? Shortest acronym will always win. I love it. And tell me, Let's go into this uh, origin story. So that's also one of, uh, that's actually one of Axie's, uh, you know, hidden advantages, right? Axie, it's, it's four letters. In the early days of the internet, yeah, you wanted to be able to get a URL that was, you know, less than, you know, five to eight characters in, in that range. Now there's so few, so few left, but uh, yeah, you, you've really captured the zeitgeist. It's really something where, it's embedded in people's minds and to be able to reactivate that and to, you know, have this new wave with this, with this existing community and to be able to influence the, the next bull, I think you have a really outsized advantage and that's the way you have to have some sort of unfair advantage as an entrepreneur. And I think it's a completely different paradigm now going into the, the, the next bull. Let's let's uh, let's dial back though. Let's go back. You said ragtag bunch. I love that you guys have, uh, you know, people from all over the world and the founding team and the mothership is based in Ho Chi Minh City. Like, tell us tell us about that origin story. That's pretty unusual. Sure. I mean, well, I actually found Axie as a community member. So I came. I found it. You know, I was into Crypto Kitties and I was looking for the next thing. Just like people are looking for the next Axie, right? And people were looking for the next thing back then. Um, and I was looking for something that would be, you know, have a larger uh, total addressable market. So I found Axie and I loved it. I fell in love. Uh, it was love at first sight. So I, I love the art. I love that they moved and it felt like a living, breathing NFT. Um, and you couldn't even do anything with them back then, um, but you could look at them and they moved. Um, and I, you know, I was entranced. Um, so I just started trying to do the work that I thought the project needed uh, to succeed, uh, whether I was going to be a community member, just an early community member or a member of the team. And, um, you know, I'm, I think like one of the ways that I look at life is reciprocity. So it's like, I just give, um, and, and then see, and then see what happens. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I found Axie, um, as a community member, you know, I was blessed to be able to join. Uh, Trung and uh, Masamune um, and uh, Al Alex joined as well uh, just shortly after me. Um, Alexander, tell us tell us about their their sort of individual superpowers, the Axie Avengers, and their where they're from originally, and how you ended up basing in Vietnam. Yeah, I mean, all right, so there are two, the two original founders are Trung and Masamune, and they're Vietnamese, and they knew each other. They had started a they had founded or they had been co-founders of a startup together in the past called Lozy. Uh, Lozy actually was very successful and had around 10 million users in 2008, 2009. That was also one of the things that I found interesting about the team was that they actually had some proven startup experience. Um, so Masamune, Masamune is like the shape of Axie and what they look like. Um, many of these core basic foundations actually come from his brain. He's like the most creative person I've ever met, uh, the most aesthetic. Um, and really like, you know, the whole I think vibe um, and the aesthetic of Axie comes from him. He also, you know, played a major 
part in a lot of the early game design as well. Uh, so he's a huge gamer. He just loves gaming. He doesn't know anything. I think like about he doesn't know much about Web three. I guess he's learned more over the years. But you know, that was he wasn't like looking to become a crypto founder. Um, so he was uh, he was actually a friend of Trung, and Trung is an engineer. So Trung is uh, he's kind of like uh, he, even before Axie in Vietnam, he was a legend, and so he had won or had participated in like competitive coding competitions, right? So, and there's like a group of Vietnamese engineers that are kind of in that scene doing hackathons, doing competitive coding, working at startups. Um, so, you know, that was his background, right? So he had been, he had been a successful entrepreneur, I think from the time he was 17 uh, or so. Um, so quite young and he had this aura about him even before Axie that, you know, anything that he's involved in, like, is very, is interesting. So he was able to, like, attract this great team around him. Important. Yeah, that's important. You have to have that kind of, like, reality distortion field and people want to be part of that. That's beautiful. And then, uh, and he's very, he's very, like, yeah, he's very intense, um, I would say. And um, he's, he's, uh, he's super sharp, right? He can, like, come in and he'll, he might, you'll listen, you're not sure if he's listening, and then you know, synthesize everything and come up with a solution that's better than what everyone else was considering um, very quickly and uh, with less context. And yeah, then there's Alex, right? So Alex, Alexander Psychout, um, yeah, he was a competitive gamer. I think he represented Norway uh, in Dota. He was also in the army. And, and he was, I, I met him in, in CryptoKitties actually. So he was a CryptoKitties mod. And yeah, and he actually is the first, he, he would, he also I think played a role in me joining the team, right? He was like telling me about Trong and his background and talking up the team. Um, he was an advisor, uh, initially, right? Uh, so yeah, you know, he's very competitive. He's like, no bullshit. He's going to get shit done. Um, uh, yeah, you know, and so, you know, I, I think he understands like, you know, the, the competitive gamer in him really kind of uh, shines um, as well. You know, I, I always I kind of think of building a startup as playing a it's like kind of like a MOBA, right? Yes. Where it's like yes. you're 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 right. Like you're trying to totally. use, you're trying to use resources efficiently. You're actually not trying to like right. You're trying to basically spend efficiently. You're actually trying to like keep to to burn efficiently spend resources efficiently and also an interesting thing is that right like the early game uh sets the course for the, the late game right so it's like um i kind of even i think web3 is even more like that right so it's like i would say you know we're in like the beginning maybe the end of the the early game right where nominally the differences between the different com uh, competitors the numbers aren't that large right because it's still the early game but they will compound and uh, the small differences that exist now will basically compound and uh, kind of compound exponentially uh, as we enter the late, the middle and the late game. Love it. I once met uh, Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, and I told him that he was one of my uh, Silicon Valley Pokemon. Like sometimes I would do that with friends just to be like, who, who are your Pokemon? Who, who has, you know, let's take, uh, I'll take a Jeff Bezos. I'll take an Elon Musk. I'll take a, uh, uh, you know, who, whoever, Larry Page, because they each have their own, uh, you know, foibles and limitations, but strengths and secret powers as well too. So in, so thinking of it as a MOBA, the entire startup game, I think is a beautiful framing of it. And I think I, I'd love to be able to like. Anyways, that's why I think, that's why I think that Alex is good at being a founder. Uh, to be honest, right? Because he was great at MOBAs, to be honest. I would love to to dig deeper into into your superhero powers and uh, skills in a minute. But I think I love that this company really spawned out of Vietnam. And, you know, in the Web3 space, if you look at Web1, it was really dominated by US and a little bit by Europe. And then Web2, it was US. And then China came in. Um, and really kind of shared most of the pie. But in the present day scenario, it's kind of hostile, both those two markets. They're not really very welcoming, uh, especially China and partially, you know, US with just, you know, not really getting the right kind of like frameworks and regulation in place. So Southeast Asia and other markets are really, you know, blossoming and blooming in a way that uh, is very surprising and, you know, kind of um, pleasant. And 
I'm based in Indonesia and Bali and, you know, the Philippines was this amazing center for your players. And, you know, Vietnam is, you know, another hub and, but, you know, Vietnam has this different turbo engine. It's probably, it's, you know, borders China, but it has this sort of like energy more of like China, North, North Asia than maybe the rest of South Asia. And, and, you know, historically has been this great place for outsourcing, but I think now there's been some founders come out of there and it's a, just an amazing place for, for coders who can get shit done. So it's a really terrific, you know, mothership. Yeah. I mean, very strong STEM education and a very young population, right? So it's like, you have a lot of, you have a lot of engineers. I spent 25 years in China and I have another podcast called at the speed of China, like at the speed of light. And the thesis is four years outside of China's year inside China. And there's multivariate reasons why China just moves faster even in this, you know, sort of downturn, but, uh, you know, Vietnam definitely is, has a much higher, much higher clock speed. So let's, uh, let's there's a ton of energy, there's a ton of energy and yeah, like the, the time space continuum seems to be warped a bit there where, you know, you leave and you come back and everything is different. Um, even if it's, I remember leaving for a month or two and coming back and my entire street would be changed. Yeah. I I'm reminded of something like, you know, Oceans, Oceans 11, where they go and they get this whole ragtag, you know, group together. And then, you know, everybody has their origin story and their own secret powers. And I think, you know, I love that, you know, very aesthetically driven, very engineering driven, very competitive driven, but you, you've become this sort of spokesperson and you're, you're an excellent storyteller. And I think you have a really great macro view and really great framing. And then the way that you were forged in that crucible of, you know, Diablo and World of Warcraft and uh, Neopets and, and and all of that, and, and you're, you're you're so all in. Like, tell tell us about your experience prior to this, and you know what you focus on day to day. Some of the lessons learned along the way. Some of the hard hard earned scabs, calluses, and scar tissue like armor. Well, I grew up as a gamer and a collector. Uh, first and foremost, right? So my dad collects insects and fossils, and he's also uh, a painter. And, and I all I'm half Korean. My mom is Korean, so actually, gaming was a way for me to kind of discover my Korean uh, family members. <laughs> so I would play Diablo and StarCraft. Right. Well, I, I t tell people about that that don't know how insanely. Uh, evolved the, the gaming scene is in Korea. I mean, you know, Korea is the birthplace of esports, um, and uh, yeah, you know, games are on a different level there. Um, so, you know, growing up, the first thing I ever did on the internet was play StarCraft with my with my cousin. Right, so that introduced me to the idea that games could be a portal to new technologies uh, for people. Right, because I, you know. First thing I ever did on the internet was play StarCraft. Um, and so, yeah, you know, so I grew up playing games and collecting things. And I studied military and economic history in uh, university. Um, and somehow, like, all these things came to a perfect blend in Axie Infinity, right? Where it's like, and I also, yeah, I grew up collecting insects and fossils. I was like a USA biology semifinalist, right? So I was into like biology. Um, and actually, right, obviously has the genes, right? And the genetic aspect. And obviously, you know, I was a gamer and I was looking to find ways to make money playing games, mainly because my mom wouldn't buy me, you know, different games or she would always trying to get me to earn things, right? Um, so... Yeah, so, so that was the gaming part and then collecting, right? Like I grew up collecting Pokemon cards, fossils, insects. So I started to understand like, you know, how scarcity and aesthetics um, kind of play into each other. Um, so yeah, so that so that was me. Um, you know, I, I, when I found Axie, I think I was 26 or 27 years old. And I had been out of uh, Yale for three, maybe three or four years. I'd been working as a quant recruiter um, and uh, managing like a small fund with my friends. 
And, but then, you know, I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to do something interesting, but it felt like all of the, it felt like, oh, to be an entrepreneur was like, go start a scooter startup or go work at Uber and then start a scooter startup. That's literally what a lot of my friends were doing. Um, it felt like things were stale. It felt like there was less room for innovation. Um, but then when I found, you know, heard about Web3 and blockchain, I was like, okay, like this is maybe our generation's opportunity to be the right age at the right time uh, to ride a wave. And so, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I recognized this opportunity. Um, and yeah, you know, I, so within two months of finding Axie, I had, you know, packed my bags, given my dog to my parents, moved to Vietnam and, you know, really uh, dedicated my life to it. Good on you, as they say in Australia. I mean, as a Yale grad and the kind of peer pressure around that to be able to just pack it up and go to Vietnam for something that seems kind of frivolous. And I think a lot of great startups are like a toy and they seem kind of almost silly in a way. Uh, but you smelled all of it because of all that disparate um you know, hobbies and passions and just your in involvement in so many different things. It's really, it's really incredible that it all came together and converged in a way that uh, really, you know, fit your skill set so well. And, and, and you're, and you're just getting started. It's uh it's really kind of like a whole, a whole new, a whole new guard of uh, entrepreneurs who, who grew up playing really competitive games and wanting digital asset rights that, but not really knowing how to necessarily even um, elucidate that just because it didn't quite exist. And you're like, I need to manifest this. I know exactly what this needs. And, you know, I think about like Bill, not, not I'm sorry, Steve Jobs. I think about Steve Jobs, how he was, you know, took all these different skill sets. He had calligraphy. So he was like, I want to make beautiful fonts and, the design aesthetic. I want to make even the inside of the computer look great. And for you, I always wondered about that genetic component of Axie. And so to be able to take your biology uh, passion and bring that into the game as well, too, it's just, it's fascinating. All these disparate skills. Well, it, you know, I, so one of the ways that I made a name for myself was actually by breeding crypto kitties. Um, right. So I was like a crypto kitty breeder. And that's actually how I first heard about Animoca was, oh, like they invested in Dapper Labs or CryptoKitties at the time. So, yeah, that was that was kind of that was my first, you know, that's how I felt like I had an edge was, oh, like this is kind of Mendelian genetics. Uh, so I, I like bred for aesthetics and, you know, anyway, so that was that was like a really good bit, I guess, for me um, entering the space. It's not often that I get to talk about the Soto and Mendelian genetics in the Founder Insight podcast. So it's uh, it's good to have. I'm from Boston, a wicked smart kid from from Yale uh, here to here to talk about that. But uh, t tell me about your your landing. So you're 20, 26 years old, like you don't really have startup experience. So now you're going to like, oh, let's make some new mistakes. Let's go on a whole new quest and adventure. I'm going to go to a different part of the world. Like, Tell us some of the trials, tribulations, and triumphs along the way in that journey. Yeah, I mean, so I moved uh, to Vietnam and, you know, we were making steady product progress. And, you know, we launched the first iteration of the battle system in October 2018. Um, but we were running out of money. We only had like $30,000 left by uh, December of 2018 because the ETH price had gone from around 400 or $500 to $100. We, you know, we did a mint. It was like probably one of the first mints with reveal. I think the first mint with a reveal ever, actually. Uh, people don't talk about it because we've done, you know, had so many other firsts. Um, but we did a mint with a reveal, you know, raised around 600 ETH. And then, you know, uh, you know, the price of ETH dropped. Um, and we were down to our last, you know, $30,000. And it seemed like we would fail. Like, wow, this dream would be snuffed out before we could see what could really happen. And even though we know that if we just had time, we could create something amazing, it might be that fate is 
not going to be on our side. But we decided that that wouldn't happen. And we, you know, we, we didn't pay ourselves for some time as well. Um, and, you know, things turned around. Like we had a successful land sale. We met Yacht. Um, but yeah, that was a really hard time. So, you know, no matter how tough this bear is, you know, it will never actually compare uh, to that. Uh, because at least now we've already changed history, right? We have that. So no matter what happens now, you know, at least we had a chance to uh, show the world that we could do something great. Um, whereas back then it was like, wow, like our dream might get snuffed out before we even have a chance to sh show what we can do. Um, so that was, that was, you know, that was hard, I guess. And that was hard. Uh, so that was, you know, but I think, you know, that with that experience going through that as a team living in Vietnam together, right. That, I think that was priceless. That was needed. And that's why we've been able to, I think, handle and navigate relatively gracefully, you know, all of the, the trials that have come, um, afterwards. Uh, so I really see that first year as like, you know, the initial crucible. Um, after that, it was like, okay, how do we get the product market fit? How do we experiment? How we'd experiment on the product side? How do we experiment on the growth side? Um, I remember doing things like, okay, we can't really do like UA the traditional way, but we could give away axes. <laughs> uh, we could give away axes to and, and target them through Discord. Um, the, there's there are only a thousand people who are interested in NFTs right now. Like, what would happen if we gave all of those one thousand people <laughs> axes? How many of them would retain? Um, so we did that, right? Like we gave axes to CryptoKitty players. We gave axes to Decentraland players. And that was actually the first scholarship. I actually coined the term scholarship. You did. There was at that time, there was no way really to earn money by playing Axie. So I was like, okay, but play, by playing Axie, you're actually learning a lot about Web3, Web3 literacy, right? So that's why it's called a scholarship because it's about the Web3 literacy and the education, right? So it was like, that was the primary benefit. I also remembered from my time as a recruiter that if you tell someone that it's going to be good for their education or good for their career, people are way more uh, likely to do something. <laughs> um, so that, that's all that I would always say, like, oh, you want to, you know, as a recruiter, people are always like, oh, I want to go to business school. I was like, no, like do this and you'll be able to go to whatever business school you want. Oh, like, and then, oh, I don't know if I want to take that job. Like, no, you should. It'll be good for your career. Those, those were like the two ways to convince people in recruiting, right? So I tried to figure out like, you know, I think the recruiting background helped me because in the early days it was like we had to do manual Right? When, you t when you read like Paul Graham, it's about like doing unscalable things to get your startup off the ground. So I thought about like, okay, what if word of mouth has to be our mouth? <laughs> what if, uh, and what if like we're not, what if we're unable to like scalably just, you know, do marketing the traditional way? What if we have to onboard users by hand? Um, and that's actually what, you know, that's actually what traditional startups have had to do at, at, at times, right? Um, it's not like unique to Web3. Um, even though at the time it might have felt like different. So, um, yeah, those are some of the, ref you know, reflections of the super early uh, days, right? And then, you know, we get into, okay, this principle of, you know, we were dealing with issues around queue times, right? Where it was like the game was fun, but the game wasn't fun if a lot of people weren't playing the game at the same time, uh, right? So then it was like, okay, what if we had protocol incentives, um, right, to basically incentivize people to play the game? more people would queue, uh, you know, some of them to earn the token, that would make the game more fun and attract uh, even more players, uh, right? So that was kind of like maybe some of the ideas behind like, you know, the creation of tokens or ERC-20s that could be earned by NFTs. And we also saw some interesting behavior where initially the experience you needed, in order to breed axes, you needed experience points. Those experience points were st stored on our server um, and people, so they were on the axes on our server. People were like, no, we want to buy these experience points so we can breed more. It's really okay. Like, you know, you don't always have to listen to users, but if they're saying that they want to buy something, um, <laughs> then it might be a good idea to, to check it out. Right. So, um, that's also kind of like where the idea for SLP came from, right. Also like from this desire to have a little bit more yeah, ability to modulate the supply of axes. Uh, so those were some of the, you know, the initial early experiments. Um, and then, you know, obviously on the infrastructure side, we were, you know, trying out different scaling solutions. And we used Loom Network for our initial land marketplace. 
Um, but yeah, you know, it didn't work. It was very difficult to communicate with them. They seemed like they were moody and, and they ended up giving up. So then we're like, okay, well, the idea was good and there needs to be some sort of a scaling solution specific to games. We know what we would do uh, to build the solution that we want. It seems like nobody's going to do it. So let's just, we're going to have to build it ourselves because nobody else seems like they're trustworthy and capable. Um, so that was right. That was the birth of Ronin. Why do we call it Ronin? A Ronin is a samurai without a master, right? So it's really a vertically integrated blockchain forge for gaming that we use to help define our own destiny. And, and yeah, you know, we deployed Ronin in April of or March of March, April of 2021. And that really allowed us to hit hyper growth. It also, you know, um, exposed uh, some gaps or holes in the ship, right, related to vertical progression and a complete economic loop, uh, which we had discussed earlier. Dent in the multiverse, indeed. You unquestionably have made a flag in the history of not just uh, gaming, but, you know, Web3 and I think this whole uh, wave. It, as I said in the beginning, for my money, I think that's really the sort of seminal inflection point, like the beginning of, of Web3 uh, in a mass market way that's going to bring it to the, to the billions. That was the original catalyst. And uh, wow, thank you for taking us through that, that sweeping history. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. I love your macro perspectives and your attention to details and explaining everything. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, really looking forward to the future progression of the platform of the game. Awesome, Rich. Well, yeah, it was, it was a pleasure to, to you know, dive a little bit deeper into a lot of these topics. And, you know, I uh, would happy, be happy to return and, uh, yeah, sending strength. Let's, let's do that next year uh, when, when there's uh, more developments, please. Thank you. Well, yeah, and everybody listening, you can find me on Twitter at J-I-H-O-Z underscore Axie. Follow Axie Infinity on Twitter. Follow Ronin underscore Network on Twitter. Uh, join our Discord, discord.gg slash Axie. Uh, discord.gg slash Ronin Network. Um, and yeah, meet the community. Find out Great, well, what it's all about. Put that all in the show notes. I follow that myself. Thanks again. That founder, ladies and gentlemen, that company, that game, that platform, that is something to keep an eye on. I am very, very excited once the bear goes to sleep and the bull is frolicking in the meadow. Keep an eye on that. And in the meantime, CLS, comment, like, subscribe, and we will see you next week. Founder Insights Podcast. Thank you. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Any opinions provided in this podcast reflect the views of the speakers only.